all of Russia, I think, identified with the, uh, with, with, with the people who died. Everybody was afraid. Everybody started, uh, everybody was in shock. People started um, watching out for uh, strangers, uh, anybody who might be planting uh, explosives in their buildings. Um, and then suddenly Putin emerges. This prime minister that most people don't even remember his name because there have been so many prime ministers in the last couple of years. What starts here changes the world. Well, I've got to admit, I kind of like it. What starts here changes the world. We are the music makers, and we are the dreamers of dreams. The average American will meet 10,000 people in their lifetime. I was handcuffed to another man from another tribe whose language I did not speak. Don't think. Be. But if every one of you changed the lives of just 10 people, and each one of those people changed the lives of another 10 people, and another 10, 10. We did not know each other. And we could not speak to each other because if we could have spoken to each other, we might have been able to figure out what was happening to us. To every politician who is taking donations from the NRA. It is because America has not invested in its people. Shame on you. And you can change the entire population of the world, 8 billion people. And if we could have figured out what was happening to us, we might have been able to prevent it. If you think it's hard to change the lives of 10 people, change their lives forever. Well, it didn't happen. And here we are. You're wrong. Are you better off than you were four years ago? You didn't know this kid, okay? We did They're looking for help. We call BS. They're looking for help. They're not looking for more of the same. When people lose their jobs, there's a good chance I'll know them by their names. When a factory closes, I know the people who ran it. When the businesses go bankrupt, I know them. Well, Governor, we also have fewer forces and bayonets because the nature of our military has changed. We have these things called aircraft carriers where planes land on them. When we get enough money, honey, we'll bring you down. Children were saved, and their children's children. Generations were saved by one decision, one person. But changing the world can happen anywhere, and anyone can do it. So what starts here can indeed change the world. But the question is, what will the world look like after you change it? Welcome to Public, to public Access, Access America. America. And this, and this one is the least charismatic of all the ones that, that have come along. And suddenly he comes on television and he says, we're going to hunt down the terrorists and we're going to wipe them out in the outhouse. Uh, if we find them in the outhouse, we're going to wipe them out in the outhouse. Uh, and it's an amazing moment in, in all sorts of ways. One is that he, uh, he claims this power that legally he doesn't actually have. Uh, the military didn't report to the prime minister. The military uh, and the military still reports all the uniformed services report to the president in Russia, not to the prime minister. Uh, so it, it would have been Yeltsin's job to sort of say, I'm going to save you. I'm going to have my army or my police on it. Yeltsin is nowhere to be seen. Putin has given the, 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 the front spot. And he's also doing something that Yeltsin wouldn't have done. He's not saying we're going to find the, those responsible and bring them to justice. He's already called them terrorists, and he's going to say we're basically going to extrajudicially execute them. We're going to wipe them out in the outhouse. Forget the process. Forget you know, this idea of bringing them to justice. It's war. And it's hugely resonant with this really scared and battered population. And so Putin's popularity 
skyrockets at the same time that he gets name recognition. It's like there's, this is, it's the same curve. And all of a sudden, he's the most popular politician in Russia because he's seen as, as spearheading the war on terrorism. Uh, fabulous. So uh, on that midnight uh, or that night to Christmas or New Year's Eve, when Yeltsin uh, appoints him, Yeltsin apologizes, and Putin comes on at midnight. Uh, ordinarily, the prime minister or the president speaks at midnight, but he comes on at midnight as the new president. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, what does he promise? What does he say? Well, he very much saw himself, I think, at that point as still a bureaucrat, and uh, and that that became evident later uh, in, in in the year two thousand. But there was Yeltsin, who I think had fully accepted responsibility for the country and fully felt like he had failed. So he gave this absolutely heartbreaking speech uh, uh, in, in the middle of the afternoon that was just, he apologized. He, sa he said that he wished that he had done a better job by the Russian people. Uh, and he said, I'm tired and I'm leaving. Uh, it, was, it was impossible not to cry watching. It was impossible not to cry watching it years later when I was uh, watching it again for, for research. And then at midnight when normally uh, the president would speak, the new president, the acting president, uh, came and said um, that he was going to do his job. And you would think that that might be disappointing to a lot of people that after that sort of, I mean, with Yeltsin, even when he was ill and despondent, he was, it's impossible to sort of overstate how charismatic he was and how, uh, as we would say in Russian, the scale of his personality was just outsized. And so after the, he exits the stage and this little thing comes along uh, and says nothing. And, but that wasn't disappointing for people. It was actually an invitation, as it turned out, to project their expectations. And so there was a sort of surge of, of optimism that now things were going to get fixed by this nobody. As you watched him uh, in that first year or two, did you see manifestations of what was to come? Was it obvious fairly early, the authoritarian, the Russian people have loved from Peter the Great to Catherine the Great to Joseph Stalin, a certain kind of person, and I'm going to be that person? It was, I mean, I, uh, I think partly because I had reported from St. Petersburg for a couple of years just before he, he became prime minister, and I knew what a different place it was politically than the rest of Russia. I, I think I recognized things in him that took other people a long time to recognize. Another thing was that I uh, I came from a dissident family and I'd and I'd I'd been an, uh, an emigre and then I had come back, so I had this this sort of I don't know that it, it somewhat different optics, and especially because I'd been brought up to be suspicious and afraid of anybody who had any connection to the KGB. Thank you, Thank for, you listening for listening to Public, to Public Access, Access America. America, produced by Public Access Pod. Discover great new playlists on SoundCloud at, at Public, Public Access, Access America. America. Discover our catalog of vintage 
videos on YouTube at Public, Public Access, Access America. America. And finally, finally, rate, review, and subscribe on Apple, on Apple Podcasts, Podcasts or, anywhere. or anywhere you listen to your favorite shows. Um, one of the things that struck me as very important was what he did uh, the day he became acting president. He signed a bunch, a bunch of decrees. His first decree was giving uh, Yeltsin immunity from prosecution, which was part of the deal. And probably anybody in that position would have done it. But among his first 10 decrees was a decree reinstating primary um, military education in high schools. And this was something that was, to me, highly symbolic. Uh, when I went to school in the Soviet Union, everybody, uh, all the high school students had to learn uh, sort of elementary military trades. I mean, first of all, we had military games, survival games from the time, I mean, games, we call them games. They weren't games, they were training sessions, right? Um, but from the time you're, you're very little, you, uh, there are bomb raids and you learn to recognize chemical burns and you're drilled on, um, on how to respond to chemical burns. And the thing is, you know, the, the, these classrooms that are uh, where the walls are covered with posters on how to recognize different kinds of war, uh, of, of chemical weapons, uh, the effects of different kinds of chemical weapons and how to respond to them. Uh, and then uh, in ninth and 10th grade, so in high school, what, uh, uh, which is ju just two years, um, you learn to uh, administer first aid uh, in a military situation, and to take apart and clean a Kalashnikov and put it back together again. And anybody my age or older will be able to tell you how long it used to take them to take apart and clean and put back together a Kalashnikov. And a good, a good amount of time is uh, around nine or eight seconds. So that was eliminated uh, when the Soviet Union fell apart. Uh, and um, we forget now how much the 1990s, even though Russia never really sort of fully entered a post-imperial era, but still it became a demilitarized country. The, the, all of a sudden there was much less emphasis on how every boy was a future soldier, which is the way I was brought up, on how uh, there, you would just see uh, very many fewer people in uniform in the streets. When I was growing up, uh, when I used to go pick up my, uh, meet my mother at the subway station when she was coming home, uh, I would, uh, to, to entertain myself, I would count the number of people in uniform coming off the trains as I waited for her, and roughly every tenth person would be wearing a military uniform. Um, and all of a sudden that was no longer the case, and of course children stopped learning how to put, uh, take apart and put back together a Kalashnikov in school. And one of the first things that Putin did on the day that he became acting president was set in motion the process of bringing that back. And I was convinced that, yeah, go ahead. No, I was, just, I was, I was convinced that that was, um, uh, he was signaling his intention to remilitarize Russian society, which is exactly what he did. What does it do to a society to grow up with that, uh, you know, eight second Kalashnikov uh, rebuild and then and then have it reintroduced. What is it, what's the signal that that sends to, uh, to people? 
Well, um, different people receive the same signal differently. I, it, it frightened me. I didn't want to live in a militarized society again. And I thought the militarized Russia would be a dangerous country for the rest of the world. Uh, countries don't militarize in order to be peaceful. Uh, and um, for a lot of people, though, uh, it was a signal that they were going back to something that was familiar and comfortable. And uh, both on a private level, uh, which is that you would do the same, uh, their children would be doing the same things that they did as children, right? But much more importantly, on a public level, so that they would have a chance to identify with a great country again. He would make Russia great again. For so many people in the 1990s, uh, the instability and discomfort that they experienced became concentrated in this idea of no longer belonging to a great, a great power. History in the making, 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 history in the making.